0: beautiful day out there. Uh, It was a nice day for a walk to start off our Sabbath. It was um, a trying time the past few months, I think, for everybody. I personally wasn't sure if I'd ever come back here, meaning that I didn't think this place would ever open again. I was concerned by what I saw on the news every day. And, uh, you know, Ellen White says the final moments would be rapid ones. And it, it seems like we still haven't recovered um, with everything else happening now in our time. You know, my prayer is that we all remain steadfast in the Lord. We, we not waver. Um, it's very easy to focus on the things that are happening right now, and it's very easy for us to try to take sides. And I think that's the worst thing we can do on this planet. We belong to a kingdom whose government is far greater than anything on this earth, and that's where we belong, and that's where our home is. And this is also a time as we're going through these things that we look around the world. It's a time for God to work out his sanctifying power within us. I mean, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, he's going to refine our characters through these times. Uh, These are also times when we can become effective witnesses for God. As things are changing, people are going to be asking more and more questions and people are going to have more and more concerns. So now's the time to start planting seeds. Uh, whether it be passing out literature, whether it be purposely praying for loved ones, family, friends, and even your enemies. And when we testify of Christ, we're testifying of his glory, we're testifying of God's character. We're letting people know who God truly is. In, in a world of filled with deception, um, we, we should be so privileged that we have a truth greater than any other treasure on this earth. Um, so before we go any further, I just want to open up with a word of prayer. Our loving Father, I just thank you so much, Father, for this day. I thank you for your children that have come here today. I'm grateful for this house of worship, Father, that you have allowed to open. Father, these are times when we need to stand up for you. These are times when we need to do some very serious internal reflection in our lives and ask ourselves what is most important in our world for us, Lord. Father, just be with us this day. I pray for the hearts and minds of your children, that they would be touched, and that your words would go forth here, Father. Please use me, Father. Um, I I just ask that you would bless me with your spirit. Let your angels be here among these people here today, among your children. We ask in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Amen. First 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're told that the Bible, the scriptures are given to us, they were written for our admonition, warnings, things that have happened in the past that we can use as examples of how to live our lives and what direction we should go in. My focus here is going to be from Luke chapter 17, and the topic is only a remnant shall be saved. And I want to follow this thought through. Um, If you go to Luke chapter 17, we're going to read the very words of Jesus. for those of you who aren't familiar with what a remnant is, anytime a seamstress uh, makes some sort of quilt or a clothing, there's always a remnant or a piece of the original cloth left. It's, most of the times it's a very small amount. So when God's referring to a remnant, he's referring to a very small amount. And I believe what we read here in these scriptures uh, will back up this claim. Now, in Luke chapter 17, I'm going to start in verse 26. Uh, Jesus compared the events at the end of time to events from the past. So we'll begin, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. We'll start in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, and read through 30. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now usually when we hear this, we look at the dominant characteristics of evil that were taking place in the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And we can conclude that at the end of time, all holiness would be wiped away from the planet. And that evil would be predominant in the last days. And Matthew 24 states to us that because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will do what? Wax cold. It will wax cold. And, you know, we see that happening today. We see that happening in these protests and just everything that's going on. Um, I took the time this week just to look at somebody who had filmed a video of downtown Cleveland. And they started with a quiet little protest. Then they started going down these side streets and just trashing storefronts and taking what they wanted and I just I was I just couldn't believe that like people are actually asking for lawlessness They're celebrating lawlessness right now And it just amazes me that the words of the scriptures the words from the spirit of prophecy are coming true Now rather than looking at the predominant characteristics that will be taking place in the wicked at the end of time I wanted to take a look at the two characters that jesus gives us he gives us two types of characters characters And I believe these are the two types of characters that will exist at the end of time, of God's people. He refers to Noah, and he refers to Lot. And through those scriptures, I want to suggest that only a remnant shall be saved. And as I said, both of these accounts of Noah and Lot stand as two witnesses of not just the corrupt nature of humanity, but also that God will only be able to save a remnant. Only a remnant who know the truth and have a love for the truth are going to be able to be saved. Because of all unrighteous deception that happens among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. It's not enough to have the truth. We have to love the truth. It has to be what our focus is. If it's not our focus, we may wind up in the wrong place. I would also like to submit that the iniquity and the evil that we see taking place will impact God's people. It will cause us. If, if we're not careful, it will, it will impact us. It will sweep us away. Um, and because of this iniquity or deception that will take place, God will only be able to save a remnant. And I believe what I'm about to share with you will prove this. Because many are called, but few are chosen. So let's take a look at type 1 in Luke chapter 17. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and read verse 7. And there we find the, the faith chapter. Or God talks about, uh, or Paul talks about all the the uh, prophets or patriarchs from the past that uh, lived by faith. In Hebrews chapter eleven verse seven, it says, "By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith." Now. Just from looking at this, we can learn that Noah was a man of faith. Uh, He was a man of action. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis 6 that Noah walked with God, and he was a just man, perfect in all his ways. We can also conclude that he was divinely warned. And that that phrase, divinely warned, comes from the same Greek terminology that we see in Hebrews 8, when is referred to as the Mosaic Sanctuary, that God divinely imparted or divinely admonished or instructed Moses to build a sanctuary. There were exact specifications that had to be followed in order for this to work. Romans ten seventeen says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, Noah was a man of faith. He heard the word of God and he acted on it. He didn't waver. He didn't sit back. He acted on it. He didn't waver one iota. He moved. He moved into action. Nothing around him affected the work that God had appointed him. Noah was moved, but what God had told him, and it moved Noah with such a fear and a reverence for the Lord, and he acted on it. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Many times we hear that, the fear of the Lord, and it sounds like scary, like why should we be scared of God? Well, in this society, people are scared of God because they have a false interpretation or a wrong idea of who God is. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. See, we should have a distaste for sin. We, we should be disgusted by the things that we see in the world. It should call us to cry out for our Savior, to draw closer to him. Uh, Proverbs 9.10 states, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, where do most people get wisdom, understanding today? get it from the media. Uh, we get it from politicians. We get it from actors, sports stars, you name it. And I, I, I think that, you know, really just humanly speaking, inside we just naturally are drawn to it. Because it's all around us. And if we're not careful, we can be taken away by that. And we could be we could be divided even in this own church for taking certain sides. So I think I just want to encourage you to be very cautious. Ecclesiastes chapter twelve thirteen tells us, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. See, that's actually the three angels' message. And that's what Noah had. He was preaching, proclaiming the angels' messages at the beginning of time. He was speaking to a godless society who rejected him. Now these verses that I just read describes what it means to have the fear of the Lord. And Noah had that fear. You know, the Lord had seen that the wickedness of man was great. The intent of his thoughts of his heart were evil continually. Not just sometimes. It got to the point where there was... People love to do evil. They planned how, what is the next wicked thing we could do? And we see that carrying on today. But the Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And Noah took God by his word. Noah realized that that iniquity that was predominant in his day was going to lead to a worldwide destruction. Now, is it any different for us today as we look around in this world? Some of us have loved ones that aren't here. Some of us have family members, friends, co-workers, people that we want to see in the kingdom. And so we have to really evaluate our stance. We have to really evaluate and, and take a look at these two types of characters. Because I, I'm telling you, these two characters, depending on what type of character we choose to model, will dictate whether or not we are going to be able to be used for the, for the Lord. Noah turned away from any sin that was in his character that might be an offense to God. He didn't hold anything back. Any sin that was brought to him, he just laid it all on the line. He, gave it, he laid it all on the altar, and he moved forward in faith wholeheartedly, and he engaged in the work. He engaged in the work that must take place, not should take place, not maybe I should do this. It must take place. But then I asked the question how much time do you think Noah spent on building the ark? I think he went in a couple hours a day? Uh, maybe put in a couple half days a week? No, he, he put his whole effort into it. And he even got his family involved. Even his daughter in laws believed in his work. Now, I'm going to recommend tonight you read from Patriarchs and Prophets the chapter on the flood and also read the chapter on the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, not just because of what happens in there, but focus on the characteristics of Lot and Noah. Because she writes a lot in there that that will help us uh, to identify the types of characteristic changes that we may need. And I found a lot of interesting um, things in here. But before I read it, I want to just say this, that God established his covenant with Noah when he told Noah to come into the ark. When Noah entered into the ark, he was entering into that covenant relationship with God, saying, I trust you, Lord, and I'm going to enter into your safety, into your protection. And so Noah did according to all that God commanded him. And then Noah was told by God, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in your generation. And then it says that the Lord shut him in. And when, the Lord, when it says the Lord shut him in, it was as if the seal of God was upon the door of the ark. Nothing could touch Noah and his family at that point. So I want to read a little bit from Patriarchs and Prophets, the chapter on the flood. <clears throat> and I want you to just focus um, especially on the characteristics of Noah. 120 years before the flood, the Lord by a holy angel declared to Noah his purpose directed him to build an ark. While building the ark, he was to preach that God would bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy the wicked. Those who would believe the message and would prepare for that event by repentance and reformation should find pardon and be saved. God gave Noah the exact dimensions of the ark and explicit directions in regard to its construction in every particular Human wisdom could not have devised such a structure of so great strength and durability. She says, God was the designer and Noah was the master builder. And while Noah was giving this warning message to the world, his works testified of his sincerity. There was, people knew this man is sincere. There is nothing wrong with him. He means what he's doing. Look at his own families following him. This man's putting everything into it, day and night, nonstop. <clears throat> it was thus that his faith was perfected and made evident. He gave the world an example of believing just what God says. All that he possessed, he invested in the ark, and every blow struck upon the ark was a witness to the people. Isn't that amazing? Every, every blow, every time he hammered on that ark was a witness against Anybody who had rejected God and who was denying God. And I want to say that stands true today. Every time you leave your house on a Sabbath morning to go to church, people are watching. Every time you're with your coworkers, people are watching and wondering, what is it that makes them tick? And I really believe, and I heard uh, some people last week talking about how happy they were to be back here. And I want to say I'm grateful to see everybody again. I, I thought about all of you for so so long while we were gone. Uh, but But if the world... ...as it is today, could look in this church and look around. They would say, what is it that keeps these people together? There's something special about these people. All this diverse... People are from all, all different countries here. And if the pe- if people of the world looked in, they said, I want that God. I want to worship this Creator. Whoever it is, whatever they have, I want it. Amen. Noah's warning had been rejected by the world. But his influence and example resulted in blessings to his family. And as a reward for his faithfulness and integrity... God saved all the members of his family with him. Now before the flood, God sent Noah to warn the world that the people might be led to repentance and thus escape the threatened destruction. As the time of Christ's second appearing draws near, the Lord sends his servants with a warning to the world to prepare for that great event. Multitudes who have been living in transgression of God's law and now he in mercy calls them to obey his sacred precepts. And that's exactly what we are a part of, that last day message. And we're to proclaim, not just proclaim the three angels' message, but to live it out, to live it out just like Noah did. Now, Noah led by example, showing not by word, but by deed. And his whole house was saved. And I want to make this point that God will have a remnant at the end of time that will be willing to surrender everything. And if you really think about it, when this world crumbles... What else is there going to be left to do? When we can't buy and sell, when we can't come to church, what else you want to do? You want to go loot a store? Or would you rather proclaim Christ to people? Let them know the Messiah is coming. Jesus is on his way back. We need to get right with God. It's time for us to repent and turn back to him. And we can be the ones, the those who bridge that gulf. We can be the repairers of the breach. And I've thought about this. So the past year, since I've seen what's happened in this church, I really believe God is just waiting, waiting to pour out his spirit here. He's waiting for us to just stand up. Those who stand up and surrender all, they will also give their all to the work for saving humanity. And they will be willing to sacrifice life itself. You know, Jesus said, He who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The moment we walked into this sanctuary this morning... We now have less time before Jesus comes back. We have less time to prepare. We have less time to proclaim and witness to others. And so I'd say, he who has an ear, let him hear today. Let's hear the voice of the Lord. But again, there are two types of last day remnant people that Jesus is talking about. The second one is Lot. And we'll read Second Peter chapter 2. and I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. And I'll start in verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Such a difference between Noah and Lot. Um, You know, as I read this, I thought to myself, you know, Lot, he could have left. He could have left. He didn't have to stay there. There was no reason that he had to stay, but he chose to. And you know, Lot, I think Lot played the woe is me game. He was surrounded by all this sin. He could have left, but he chose to be a part of it. He chose to stay in it. He played games with God's mercy. He didn't take it seriously. He didn't believe that the destruction was coming. But it says in Genesis chapter 19, verse 16, it says, and while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside of the city. It was two destroying angels that came into the city, and it was only because Lot had invited them in that they told them what was happening. It goes on to say in verse 24 that the Lord rained and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens but his wife looked back behind him and became a pillar of salt again the difference between noah and lot we see in hebrews 11 that by faith noah was divinely warned and he prepared an ark it says for the saving of his household however in second peter chapter 2 verses 6 through 8 we find that god only delivered righteous lot Now, Noah prepared, and his family was saved because he took God's warning seriously. Lot did not prepare, and only he was saved because he played games with God's mercy, and he did not take God seriously. He didn't take God God by his word. Lot, he was lukewarm. And what does the revelation say about the the last church at the end of time? And if you look at the, the... majority of Christianity, they're really it's really lukewarm. It's just a comfortable position that, that Christianity has settled into. Now, Lot wanted worldly benefits, and because he didn't prepare, he lost everything. And he had to leave it all behind in Sodom. He never got to use any of his property or his finances to save his family. He was barely even to, able to save his own soul. Lot's daughters and wife it came out of Sodom. The wife looked back, turned into a pillar of salt. The daughters did get out of Sodom, but were they really saved? Were they saved? No, they weren't. And why not? Because the sin, the corruption of Sodom, had affected his family. Because he stayed, it affected his whole family. It even affected him. It dulled his senses from hearing the voice of God. And Noah put all his resources and finances into the saving of his family. But Lot's unfaithfulness caused his family to lose their salvation. You know, Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. And now I want to read again from patriarchs and prophets. This time I'm going to read from the destruction of Sodom to try to give you a better understanding of of what really happened and also the characteristics of Lot. She says... In the twilight, two strangers drew near to the city gate. They were apparently travelers coming in to tarry for the night. None could discern in those humble wayfarers the mighty heralds of divine judgment. But there was one man who manifested kindly attention toward the strangers and invited them to his home. Lot did not know their true character, but politeness and hospitality were habitual with him. They were a part of his religion, lessons that he had learned from the example of Abraham. She says, had he not cultivated a spirit of courtesy, he might have been left to perish with the rest of Sodom. Noah was a man of faith. He moved forward, and his works testified of his sincerity. Here we find that Lot cultivated a spirit of politeness, hospitality, and courtesy. It is little things that test the character. It is the unpretending acts of daily self-denial performed with a cheerful, willing heart that God smiles upon. We are not to live for self, but for others. And get this word that she uses. And it is only by self-forgetfulness, by self-forgetfulness, by cherishing a loving, helpful spirit that we can make our life a blessing. I am going to read uh, what happened to Lot She states that Lot returned sorrowfully to his home and told the story of his failure. The angels bade him arise and take his wife and two daughters who were yet in his house and leave the city. But Lot delayed. Though daily distressed at beholding deeds of violence, he had no true conception of the debasing and abominable iniquity practiced in that vile city. He did not realize the terrible necessity for God's judgments to put a check on sin. Some of his children clung to Sodom, and his wife refused to depart without them. The thought of leaving those whom he held dearest on earth seemed more than he could bear. It was hard to forsake his luxurious home and all the wealth acquired by the labors of his whole life. To go forth a destitute wanderer, stupefied with sorrow, he lingered, loath to depart. But for the angels of God, they would all have perished, In the ruin of Sodom, the heavenly messengers took him and his wife and his daughters by the hand and led them out of Sodom. Uh, I'd like to shift gears here, and I just want to compare what we've looked at to the three angels' messages. God gives us the three angels' message at the end of time, and it's a message of warning. It's a message of love, it's a message of hope, it's a message saying that God is coming, His truth will prevail. And nothing will stop it. And the best part is, we get to be a part of it. God wants to use people. He does, he's not going to do it on his own. He wants to use us, and that is such a blessing. When we go forward with the right spirit in prayer, God will supply everything. We won't have to do anything, we will only have to prepare, just like Noah. He built for 120 years, he preached, and God used what he did. Now, in the first angel's message, I would like to say that the first angel's message is very comparable to the message of Noah, because Noah was one who feared God and gave him glory, and he gave glory by worshiping his creator, by building the ark, and by doing so, proved that God would destroy the earth, and so Noah feared God, he gave him glory, and God even used, you know what's interesting, God even used the heaven, the earth, The sea and the springs of water as the elements brought destruction. It's part of the first angel's message. And so Noah was able to save his family because he was completely faithful and connected to God. Eight were saved. But from my understanding of Bible prophecy, there'll be 144,000 that will be able to stand at the end of time. And they will be the only ones. There will be no guile in their mouth. They will be without sin. I truly believe they will have been perfected, and God will be able to use them to preach the last message. Nothing will be able to stop them. You know, what's interesting, we, we hear about the, the, the last plagues and all the things that will come upon the earth, but in all honesty, those plagues protect God's bride, amen? Do they not? They are there for our protection. And I would recommend reading Psalm 91. You know, read and meditate on that. Uh, the second angel's message we find in Revelation chapter 14, and we're told that Babylon has fallen. And also in Revelation 18, there's a call to come out, and that's exactly what had happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. The sins of Sodom had reached up into the heavens. God had heard it. He sent the destroying angels. The call was to come out, but there was none that listened other than Lot and his family. And again, Only Lot made it because he was clinging to Sodom. He was called to come out, but the Bible says he lingered. And Spirit of Prophecy, says, had he not lingered, his wife would have been saved. Lot is a witness of those who are lukewarm and compromised. He could not save his family because he was too connected to earthly comforts and benefits. And by his lingering or staying in Sodom, one was saved. And that was a self. The third angel's message is a consequence of not hearing the first two. And we're even told, and God pours out his wrath in what strength? A little strength? Maybe just a little bit? God, don't pour it all out? No. God is ready to pour out his full strength. But. I want to say right there in the heart of Revelation 14, as I said before, we find God's people. Revelation 14:12, we see those who are patient, those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. They hold on to God wholeheartedly. They won't let him go. We could also say the destruction of the wicked is also a witness. And it's a result of not heeding the messages of the three angels. Those who perished in the flood and the fires of Sodom are a reflection of the consequential results of not heeding the messages of God. Now, when I heard the message, I heard it, and I acted on it. Within a year of me stepping back into a Sunday-keeping church, I had heard the Seventh-day Adventist message, and there was, that was the end of it. That was it. I was, I was sold on it. There was, there was no other option. You know, because the three angels' message, the first angel's message points out truth. The second angel's message tells us of the counterfeit, and the third angel says, choose. What choice do I have? What choice do we have? The three angels' messages are just like three witnesses. And I just ask this question, what will we choose? Will we give it all like Noah? Or do we want to take a chance and compromise for earthly comforts and benefits? And I'm going to read the last... Uh, one last paragraph from Patriarchs and Prophets. She says, There was a coming out, a decided separation from the wicked, an escape for life. So it is within the days of Noah, so with Lot, so with the disciples prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, and so it will be in the last days. Again, the voice of God is heard in a message of warning, bidding his people separate themselves from the prevailing iniquity. And so I just want to challenge us again today to reevaluate where we're at in our walk. Joshua 24:15 says, "Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we choose to serve the Lord." Now there's more to this story that I didn't even touch on. In that chapter of Luke 17, we have Lot and Noah as a witness, but we also have Jesus as a witness. Because he said he's coming back again. And he's actually a faithful witness. He is in the Ark of Refuge, so to speak. That's in the sanctuary above. Waiting for us to enter in daily. He's inviting us to enter in to the same covenant relationship that he asked Noah to enter into. To come into the Ark. You know, the Bible says, thy way, O God, is in thy sanctuary And he wants us to come to the cross, not just to the cross. He wants us to go past the the cross or the altar of burnt offerings. He wants us to go to the laver daily to be washed. He wants us to walk in closer to his presence, into the holy place, and partake of the bread of life, the word of God. He wants us to stand before the altar of incense and plead with him, plead for our friends, our families, our own salvation, for one another's, He's also wanting us to partake of his Holy Spirit. The seven-branch candlestick is not just a witness, an example of us witnessing, but there is oil that goes into that lamp. So that's representative of the Holy Spirit. And then he wants us to come boldly to the throne of grace, not ashamed of where we've been or what we've done in the past, that we can begin a new life daily. We can become more Christ-like, more like Noah. Noah. He wants us to allow him to write his father's name upon our foreheads and write his law upon our hearts. God wants to dwell in his people, but he can't dwell in us when there's sin. I am going to, I wasn't sure if I wanted to read this, but I am going to read it because it's from the upward look and it's from October 28. Uh, She says to be singular for Christ's she says that God has a church. It is not the great cathedral, neither is it the national establishment, neither is it the various denominations. It is the people who love God and keep his commandments. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Where Christ is even among the humble few, this is Christ's church. For the presence of the high and holy one who inhabiteth eternity can alone constitute a church and I you know I stand up here today and I just picture Jesus standing at that door he's just knocking and I picture behind that door is a multitude of his angels and he is just ready for us to go where does God want us to go in 2020?